Welcome to Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. This is Wednesday, May 6th, and today I want to focus on the things we know for certain about the coronavirus. First of all, it originated in Wuhan, China. There's no doubt of that. And the Chinese withheld important life-saving information about the virus, and in certain cases, they directly lied. According to Representative Elise Stefanik, who is a Republican from New York, she says the Communist Party of China knowingly withheld critical information on the threat of COVID-19, and thousands of people have died because of their attempt to cover up the virus. Stefanik goes on to say, quote, China must be held accountable for the devastating loss of life they have caused by lying and intentionally suppressing critical facts needed to combat COVID-19 early on in this pandemic. Stefanik is filing a lawsuit against China with the International Court of Justice in The Hague. Reports have clearly shown that from January 14 of this year, information from the Wuhan Municipal Health Commission was that Chinese authorities, quote, found no clear evidence of human-to-human transmission of the novel coronavirus. This, of course, turned out to be a lie. Wuhan Municipal Health Commission underreported the numbers of infected and diseased patients in China. A University of Southampton study found that if China had acted just three weeks sooner, the number of people affected by the virus would have been cut by 95% worldwide. Health officials in Wuhan were warned about the coronavirus as early as December 27th, but China refused to issue public warnings. Two doctors in Wuhan, Ai Fun and Li Wong Liang, took to social media on December 30 to warn the public about the virus, but were both reprimanded for spreading rumors and put in jail. Li eventually died from the COVID-19 virus on February 7, and public outrage led the Chinese Communist Party to issue a statement exonerating him, and the public forced the Communist Party to apologize to Li's family. These are facts. These are verifiable and confirmed by more than three sources. No conspiracy theory here, no exaggeration, no inflated numbers. The virus is from Wuhan, China, and the Chinese government's mishandling of this virus is the cause of its spread. Pandemic, yes, in that it is widespread and worldwide, But is that because of globalization and international travel and not necessarily due to the ferocity of the virus? I can say with a fair amount of confidence that I do travel a lot. Because I lived in China for so many years, I usually try to speak the language with any Chinese person I come across. And I meet Chinese people everywhere I go. In every nation I have traveled, there are Chinese people, and I say that without exaggeration. They're tourists, businessmen, and students. So yes, the coronavirus is widespread, but the cause of its spreading may not be due to its intensity and more to its proximity. Let's look at the Spanish flu of 1918, for example. Although the world has faced several major pandemics over the last hundred years, one of the worst was the 1918 influenza pandemic, the so-called Spanish flu. It was caused by a virus that originated in birds. It was not 
only highly contagious, but it was vicious. Many of its victims died within hours of exposure. It spread rapidly and without discrimination against age, gender, or social ranking. Poor and rich alike contracted it, and contracting this disease was almost certain death. That is a true pandemic. It was first identified in the United States in military personnel in the spring of 1918, coming home from World War I and from around the globe. It was dubbed the Spanish flu because it was thought at that time to have originated in Spain. But it was travel that spread the disease. World War I's infected soldiers' population returned to their homes and the Spanish flu went with them, causing a worldwide outbreak. At its worst, the Spanish flu infected 500 million people worldwide, which at the time was about a third of the Earth's population. More than 50 million people died of the disease worldwide, with 675,000 in the United States alone. The population of the United States at that time was 103 million people. The Spanish flu took 0.65% of the U.S. population. It took more lives than World War I. The Spanish flu lasted from spring 1918 through about early summer 1919. It is undoubtedly one of the deadliest pandemics in human history. And as deadly as the Spanish flu was, it killed them at a much lower rate and much less percentage of the world's population than the Black Death, which lasted for more than 20 years. The Black Death, often called the plague, was the most fatal pandemic recorded in human history, resulting in the deaths of up to 200 million people in Eurasia, Europe, and North Africa. That was about 30% of the world's total population at the time. It started in 1342 and lasted until 1363. The Black Death originated in Asia and traveled along the Silk Road, reaching Crimea. From there, it was carried by fleas living on rats that traveled on merchant ships, spreading throughout the Mediterranean and eventually reaching Africa, West Asia, and then Europe. It is estimated to have killed about 50% of Europe's entire population. These are clearly pandemics. The Spanish flu and the plague were highly contagious and highly lethal. So they spread not only by travel, but by the highly contagious nature of these diseases. They were vicious and they did not discriminate based on age, gender, or social ranking. I want to give that backdrop so we can look at a few numbers in relation to the coronavirus. So far, according to the Center for Disease Control, there have been 3.7 million confirmed COVID-19 cases around the world. 3.7 million confirmed COVID-19 cases worldwide. Of those, 1.3 million have recovered and show no further symptoms of the virus. 3.7 million confirmed worldwide, 1.3 million have recovered and show no further symptoms. Worldwide, there have been 263,000 confirmed deaths due to 
coronavirus. Today, our world population is 7.8 billion people. That means that the current death rate toll of COVID-19 is 0.0000337% of the world's population. Let's look at Spain, for example. 220,000 cases of absolutely tested positive COVID-19 cases. They've had 126,000 recover and 26,000 deaths. Spain's population is 47 million people. So that is 0.056% of its total population. Then there's Italy. 214 cases of tested positive COVID-19. 214,000. 93,000 recovered and 30,000 died with Italy's population of 60 million. That's a total of 0.05% of their total population. Take this into consideration. Italy's total deaths in 2018, long before there was ever a coronavirus, was 610,000 people. Italy loses about half a million people to death annually, and the life expectancy of Italians is about 80 years of age. So Italy had 214,000 confirmed cases, 93,000 of those recovered, and 30,000 died. Now, according to the CDC, which only logs in deaths confirmed or tested positive for COVID-19, the total death count in the United States due to the coronavirus from February 1 to May 1 was 37,308 tested deaths. 37,308 tested deaths. Compare that to 64,000 382 deaths in the United States during that same time period from pneumonia. It's almost half. The coronavirus deaths are almost half of what the pneumonia deaths have been in the exact same time frame in the United States. Since February 1, 2020, the United States death toll from murder, car accidents, other accidents, and disease was 720,000 people. Each one important, each one significant, but the COVID-19 cause of death among that number is less than 5% of the total deaths in America since February 1. And in the whole of the United States, there have been nine deaths, nine deaths of those 37,000 Nine deaths were children under the age of 14. Compare that to 37 deaths of children under 14 who died of pneumonia. Another fact about the coronavirus is it has the highest death rate among the elderly. In Kansas, for example, all 89 deaths here were over 65 years old. 
That's in the male population. It was even over 85 years of age in the female population. In Kansas, we have had a total of 89 deaths due to coronavirus since February 1 through May 1, and 455 deaths from pneumonia during that same time frame. And no one under the age of 65 has died in Kansas from COVID-19. No one under the age of 65 has died in Kansas from COVID-19. In Missouri, 196 total deaths have been reported, the majority in the St. Louis area, and all in the 55-plus age range for both male and female. Deaths from pneumonia, 971. Oklahoma, 136 total deaths for males over the age of 55 and females over the age of 65. 136 total deaths. Total deaths due to pneumonia, 847. In these three states, no one under the age of 55 has died from this disease. So once again, the total death count in the United States due to the coronavirus from February 1 to May 1 is 37,308 confirmed coronavirus deaths and 64,382 deaths as a result of pneumonia. I tell you this because I want to put this all in perspective. I want us to look at actual numbers worldwide, nationally, and in our states. Compare these numbers to the deaths during the Spanish flu or the plague. Those were catastrophic numbers. These are not. Heartbreaking, yes, but not pandemic by definition. CDC numbers are accurate because they are verified and report only positive tested cases. Now, the third fact I'd like to look at is in reference to field hospitals and U.S. naval ships set up to handle the overrun hospitals dealing with COVID-19, especially in densely populated areas. While the coronavirus is not over, there does seem to be real hope. Medical experts all over the country are saying we've successfully, successfully flattened the curve. And so hospitalizations are decreasing and the rates of infections are truly slowing down. What is one indisputable evidence of this? Temporary field hospitals erected in late March and early April to care for worst case scenario influx of coronavirus patients are now being torn down. These include perhaps the four most notable examples. One, in New York City, the field hospital at the Javits Convention Center closed last Friday as the final patients were discharged. The hospital treated more than 1,000 coronavirus patients during its month of service, none of which died. The facility had a capacity to treat 2,500, but thankfully never reached even half that number. The medical and support staff is being redeployed to other local hospitals. Samaritan's Purse Field Hospital in Central Park, after six weeks, is pulling down their field hospital as cases in New York City continue to decline. Samaritan's Purse set up the hospital at the end of March in cooperation with Mount Sinai Hospital. The field hospital contained a respiratory unit and 68 beds. 
Through the course of the six weeks they were there, they treated 191 patients, of which one died. As the tents come down in Central Park, staff will continue to assist hospitals in the area. In Chicago, the massive field hospital at the McCormick Place Convention Center is also closed for new patients, and 500 of its current 1,000-bed capacity will be broken down according to the Chicago Tribune. The remaining 500 beds will remain for the immediate future as a backup plan in case of a spike in coronavirus hospitalizations. City officials report that the rate of cases is slowing and officials are confident the originally planned 3,000-bed field hospital won't be required. That facility treated a total of 29 patients since it opened in mid-April. The cost? Around $75 million, according to the city's Corps of Engineers. And back in New York, gleaming new tent hospitals sit empty on two suburban New York college campuses, never having treated a single coronavirus patient. Convention centers that were turned into temporary hospitals in other cities went mostly unused. And a Navy hospital ship that offered help in Manhattan is soon to depart with not a single patient seen. The facts are that when the virus fell short of worst case predictions, our nation was left dotted with dozens of barely used or unused field hospitals. Some public officials say that's a good problem to have despite spending potentially billions of dollars to erect the care centers. Because the good news is it's a sign that the deadly disease was not nearly as cataclysmic as it might have been. That's the good news. But the bad news is did we overreact and spend billions of dollars unnecessarily and create a public panic? A few of the facilities will now be kept on standby for a possible second wave of infections. Some could even be repurposed as testing sites or recovery centers. And in England, it's the same story. The National Health Service reported it counts as a huge success for the whole country if we never have to use these facilities, according to Simon Stevens, the chief of the NHS in England where sparsely used field hospitals have been criticized as costly, unnecessary white elephants. They have 24 field hospitals left untouched. And when people report to you that England has the highest per capita of the COVID virus, that is not true. It is Belgium. Belgium has the highest per capita of COVID-19 virus patients. So what I'm trying to do here is bring some perspective. We are facing one of the greatest constitutional crises in our nation's history. And facts, numbers, and reality, these things really matter now more than ever. We citizens need to take time and look at what is the reality of this disease and not be tossed about by every wind of speculation, fear, and mass media hysteria. The more we know, the better decisions we can make. Knowledge based in truth is a powerful weapon against tyranny. Then there's fear. Of course, our trust in God is our ultimate compass and should always point us to true north. But numbers, stats, and facts also guide us into what is really true and what really matters. As these numbers illustrate, there is not as much to fear as we were originally were told and led to believe. 
Our pandemic has literally not panned out. Again, that's good news, bad news. But ask yourself two important questions. How do I prevent being manipulated by government and media during this pandemic? And the second question, and what are good and wise precautions I personally should take in response to this virus, especially if you're part of the vulnerable population? I want us to think about responses to COVID-19 in light of the actual numbers. Responses should be made based on facts, truth, and actual data. I want us to make informed decisions and not be led about by people with bad motives and bureaucrats who have become more than a little power hungry. Can we do that? I certainly hope so. Let's pick up tomorrow and look at the realities of masks. Mask, to wear or not to wear? That's the question. There are risks just like with pneumonia, the flu, and other diseases, but the numbers demonstrate that it is not a real pandemic and that the fear that has been generated is more hysteria than data-based. Thanks for joining me today. This has been Truth Matters with Terry McCarthy. I'll talk to you tomorrow. And in the meantime, if you like this podcast and you think this is helpful, useful information, please take a moment to subscribe. Give me a thumbs up. Leave a comment. And if you could, share. It helps to know folks are listening. See you tomorrow. And remember, don't be afraid.